Falcons are definitely a better idea. Uh, but, you know, being a, a part of the Klingon Empire would probably be good for mankind. It would unite us. It would give us the common cause, you know, pleasing the Empire so they don't annihilate us and just, you know, settle the place with Klingon. Sounds like heaven. And this is the Dreamcatcher Podcast, where every episode we try to find an answer to the question, can anything we imagine be created? This time, we're going to do something a little different. You probably know there's a new Star Trek series coming, Star Trek Discovery, and in honor of that, to celebrate it, and hopefully it's a good one, I thought we could dedicate a few of our Dreamcatcher Podcast episodes to the Star Trek universe. In the podcast, we always ask, can anything we imagine be created? That would usually be about warp speed, tricorders, starships, transporter beams, the slingshot effect, and so on. Uh, whether any of these can be built or done by current or future scientific knowledge. That is the issue we usually tackle. But, We'll get to those questions in the future, no pun intended. I thought we could dedicate this episode to a slightly different type of question, like one less based on technology and more based on evolution. In this episode, I want to ask, can Klingons exist? And in the next episode, I want to ask, can Vulcans exist? And in the last Star Trek episode for now, uh, let's see if we can have the freaking Borg. Can the Borg actually exist? Is there a Borg out there? So, let's start with the Klingons. Now, can Klingons exist? What am I actually asking? First, I automatically assume that just as life was formed here on Earth, life can be formed elsewhere. So, sure, we can have another life form. That's okay. And circumstances can even lead us to have a humanoid alien race. Why not? It's possible. It's happened here. It could happen someplace else. So, for the sake of the podcast, and, and until someone proves that it is impossible, I'm buying it. But, what are Klingons? Klingons are a warrior society. Actually, they're a warrior race. This is the point that I want to concentrate on. Everything in Klingon society is based on war, battle, status, honor, and loss of honor. Sure, they have people making the food and people inventing the ships and people, people building their buildings, but their entire race is all about war, battle, and honor. By the way, a warrior society that is basically the Klingons was invented decades before Gene Roddenberry talked about it. It 
it was invented by science fiction author Lai Niven in one of his universes, which includes the Ringworld universe. And the Ringworld universe is basically the tail end of dozens of stories, and I think at least ten books. Uh, and in them there is a warrior race called the Kzin, spelled K-Z-I-N. And just like Klingons, everything is a battle to them. And everything is an excuse for a battle. And, and peace and diplomacy are ridiculous concepts. Now my question is, can a warrior race actually exist? Can something like that develop from an evolutionary point of view? How can a race that only cares about war and destruction actually develop and be prosperous? Is that possible? Or is that impossible? Wouldn't they destroy themselves just as they were developing? Wouldn't a Klingon race that is actually able to comprehend the concept of peace and diplomacy actually have an advantage? And if you think that diplomacy and peace are part of the Klingon society, let me quote to you from StarTrek.com. Quote, Klingon language had no word for the concept of peacemaker, until Ramatissian mediator Riva negotiated the early United Federation of Planets Klingon treaties just decades ago. End quote. So, diplomacy and peace are new concepts to the Klingons, which does beg the questions... Can Klingons exist? Can an alien race develop and thrive as a warrior race? And clearly we, humans, I'm assuming all my listeners are humans, or at least the ones understanding what I'm saying, are not a warrior race. We had many wars in history, genocides, killers, mass killers, but also generations of peace, prosperity, science, art, and yes, diplomacy. So, can Klingons exist? Let's take this on. Let's engage, shall we? The question is about evolution. And, fortunately, I have an evolution expert at home. Not actually physically at home, but he's my father. And his name is Oren Hasson, Oren O-R-E-N, or Dr. Oren Hasson, if you want. And he invented something new in evolution. I'll give you a little bit of a background, and then we'll get to his answer about the Klingons. One of his teachers was called Professor Amotz Zehavi, who, by the way, died just a few weeks ago. In any case, Zehavi invented something in evolution called a handicap principle. For example, if you're a male peacock and you have a big long tail, you're showing you've got something something. You have something to be proud of, something that females like. Now, why is that? Because the tail is very heavy. The bigger the tail, the heavier it is. If you're a male peacock and you have a huge tail, it's like you're proving you're Schwarzenegger or something, because you're dragging barbells everywhere you go. That's what you're actually doing. It's a handicap, and it makes it harder for you to run from predators, right? So, if you've survived this long, not only are you strong, but you can survive. You're something something. And the thing about a handicap is that it can't be faked. It's a signal that has to be true because it clearly handicaps you. You are actually going around with barbells everywhere. So that's Amotzehavi. And after that came my father, Owen Hasson, who invented something called the amplifier on top of that. 
An amplifier is a signal that can't be faked, has to be true, but doesn't handicap you. For example, let's take the peacock again. When the male spreads his tail, he has eyes on it, like you know, beautiful black or colorful eyes on the tail. We like them because they're beautiful, but that's not what other female peacocks see. Now, the wider the eyes, the more attractive the male peacock to the female peacock. Now, why is that? The tail of the peacock develops over time. And if the peacock has a bad summer, a bad winter, when there's less food, or he can't find food, or, or other people take his food, the tail grows unevenly. It grows less when there's less food, and more when there's more food. And the circle, the eye, grows unevenly when he eats unevenly. Now why a circle? Because a circle amplifies every mistake. A circle is the easiest shape in which you can spot an imperfection from afar. You just look at it and you see something's wrong. It's not perfect. And everyone would see this mistake when the peacock struts his, it's the male peacock, struts his tail. The less perfect, the less you can count on the peacock's ability to feed the young ones. The offsprings, you, the female peacock, you are going to have with the male peacock. The more perfect the circles, the more you, female peacocks again, can count on the male's ability to take care of your children. But a circle doesn't handicap. It's not heavy. It's not hard to carry. It amplifies. It amplifies the truth and cannot lie. For example, a big nose in humans is an amplifier. It shows you where the person is looking. It's usually the males of the species who have the biggest noses. Hello, me too. And the ones who survived back in the good old cave days are the men who could confidently say, Yes, that's where I'm looking. And do you have a problem with that? But a weak male in the caves would look at the chief's wife and would not be able to say that he did, because that was where his nose was pointing, and he may get in trouble for it, or suffer for it. Okay, that brought you up to speed on how evolutionists think about things, how they look at things. It's always about reproduction. So I asked my father, is it possible for an alien race to be a warrior race like the Klingons? He thought about it for a second, then said, Well, only if it pays off reproductively. If the warrior race is able to reproduce better because they're a warrior race. And then he fell silent for a couple of seconds, thinking, and then he said suddenly, Oh, it is possible we already have something like that here. Termites. Termites, said I. In termites, the explanation went, and I am paraphrasing, only the queen and king mate. And I can't, where the queen mates with a few males, and then the males die, and the queen is left with eggs enough for a whole nest. The kings of the termites keep living. They keep hatching those endless eggs. And the eggs that are formed give birth to termite casts, which cannot breed, including unless they create more queens and kings. 
The casts include Walker cast and the Warrior cast, and from an evolutionary point of view, when the entire hive serves those who breed, and those who breed breed a lot and create all those warriors, then it does become evolutionarily wise to fight for status, fight for borders against other nests, and compete endlessly, like the Klingons, like the Termites. So it's not exactly Klingon society as it was written, because Klingons can mate, they can, they, they don't serve the king and queen who are the only ones who breed, but it's close enough. And perhaps if the original writers had known it, they may have created the Klingon Empire that way. After all, it's closer to nature. So, evolution has already given us a species of life that acts so much like the Klingons that it's ridiculous. Now let's go back. The question of the day was, can Klingons exist? Does it make sense for Klingons to develop from an evolutionary point of view? Turns out, it does. Klingons can exist somewhere out there in the universe. And now comes the next question. Does that make you feel better or worse about what's waiting for us out there knowing that actual Klingons could be waiting for us? Bum bum bum. Now, as a bonus, uh, we have with us uh, Ilana Pudo. Who is? Who knows Klingons? Who knows Klingons who speaks a little bit of Klingon and who's a, a certified nurse. And do uh, join parades and all sorts of topics and do a lot of uh, uh, community work, all in Klingon cosplay. Very nice. Anyway, yeah. we're talking Klingons today because to talk to us about the origin of why Klingons are the way they are, how did they become to be a warrior society, from the story's point of view, because uh, you are. You know far more about this than I do. I've seen all the episodes, but I don't. I didn't delve into the actual uh, mythology uh, that deeply. So, why are Klingons Klingons? Klingons are Klingons because um, it works, because it's effective, because um, being a warrior, having their homeworld, Kronos, being a very hostile place and very scarce in resources. They, it was a kill-or-be-killed world. Everything tries to kill you, uh, like Australia, just worse. And so people had to constantly fight over resources. And as soon as they became uh, um, spacefaring, they continued to do so to systems around them, and that's how they became an empire. That is how they spread. All right. And so this is from an evolutionary point of view. They just wanted to spread. That's a the story goes. Pretty much. You also told me about, um, what's his name? Kalis. Kalis. Can you tell us about Kalis? Yes, Kalis is, 
um, kind of like the holiest character in, in Klingon mythology. A lot of their traditions and, and their uh, um, views of life are built upon the philosophy of Kalis. Uh, so he, he even the marriage ceremonies of the Klingons are based on, on his marriage ceremony to his wife. Uh, and there's a lot of tragedy in his life. His life is very tragic. But he keeps, he stays honorable throughout it. And that is how Klingons see themselves as fighting for what they believe in and staying honorable throughout the process. Also, another very important uh, um, aspect of Klingons' uh, life is family, houses. Their, their whole society is built around houses and familial uh, uh, relations. And if a child dishonors the family, it, it, it's, it's frowned upon. And when when was Kalis introduced? Was it when uh, Wolf uh, wanted something to do with Wolf's uh, wedding? I, or, I, do you think, remember? I think that Kalis was introduced somewhere in TNG. I don't remember exactly where. He was not introduced in TOS. Yeah. He, he was actually, I think it was DS9 that he was cloned and, and brought back to life. The legendary character uh, Kalis actually brought to life. Don't remember that. Okay. That, that happened, I think it was uh, with his sword. They found his sword, and it had DNA traces on it. And I think it was Gowron who decided to revive Kalis in order to uh, um, strengthen his position and to, to promote, uh, uh, to, to inspire the Klingon Empire to continue growing, to continue expanding, because that's basically how they live, by expanding and, and, and conquering. Okay, that's... I'm going to watch that again. Uh, do you... Now, let me ask you this. As I know you're a Klingon ambassador. But... You used to be. Retired. You used to be. But... Well, we said... Ambassador... Diplomats don't really retire. But... Um, would you feel better or worse or the same if you found out that it is actually very likely or possible that the next, the first race we meet is Klingons, or Klingon-like. Is that a good thing um, or a bad thing? Vulcans um, are definitely a better idea. Uh, but, you know, being a um, part of the Klingon Empire would probably be good for mankind. It would unite us. It would give us the common cause, you know, pleasing the Empire so they don't annihilate us. And just you know, settle the place with Klingon. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> uh, I'm not against it. Look, I'm not. I'm not against it because then we'd have a world government, and our whole planet would be a lot more united. I'm in favor of that. Well, you know, the dangers of being united is that it's nice when it's a leader you like, and it's terrible when it's a leader you don't. Um, and most people don't agree. And I the third, I don't like the threat of violence. Our, uh, I, for one, welcome our uh, forehead wrinkled uh, uh, rulers. Okay. <laughs> Good. Thank you for being here with us today, Ilana. It's my pleasure. One last thing before we go. Uh, Ilana called me immediately after we recorded this to say that she was uh, wrong about Carles being on DS9. She was uh, not being on TNG. Carlos did appear. That episode was in Star Trek TNG and not DS9. Anywho, I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
the next episode we're going to keep our star trek streak going and ask can we have vulcans can vulcans exist this time not from an evolutionary point of view since logic for them uh, is a society thing and not a race thing they didn't have logic in the beginning uh, they came upon logic and decided that's the best way to go so the question would be can a society actually exist based completely on logic fascinating i'm guy hassan the website is dreamcatcher.vision on twitter i'm at dreamcatcherpod email me with comments about klingons with future questions to be asked or even better with amazing solutions about how to create things that we only dream about Email me at hello at dreamcatcher.vision and mention if you want to be read on air or not. I want to hear from you. The Dreamcatcher podcast is brought to you by Comics in Power, the comic book store for the blind and the visually impaired. Comicsinpower.com That was not a surprise ending to the address. Be with us next time on Dreamcatcher. Thank you.